Welcome to the Collide Podcast. We're a growing community of everyday chicks colliding with Jesus in our mess, our pain, our joy, and our stories. We value showing up as we truly are, so that's what you'll find here. Walls and masks being torn down so that we can allow Jesus to meet us where we truly are and hear about other women doing the same. We can't wait to collide with you. Such a fan also of just overall functionality. To me, function comes before form. A beautiful house is important, but if that home isn't functioning well for you, that home will never be a beautiful home. Welcome to the Collide Podcast. I'm Willow Weston, the founder and director of Collide, and I am so excited to have Julie Clark on the podcast today. Julie Clark is someone that I admire and respect very much. She's a wife and a mom and a grandma and the former owner of an amazing business called Organized at Last that she ran for several decades. She has a passion for organization and people, and she has spent so many years helping families organize their homes to create a peaceful respite and a sense of calm by eliminating clutter. She's been married to her husband, Steve, who is an amazing man for 37 years. They have adult kids and grandkids, and they love finding intentional ways to bless others. So today I can't wait to talk to Julie about all things clutter, chaos, mess, organization, peace, family, and intentions, and retirement life. Julie, thank Thanks for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to be here. Well, Julie, when I first met you, I attended one of your organization workshops, and I remember being blown away by your simple ideas that promised to bring peace into people's chaos, and they certainly did. Your business had a tagline that was creating emptier, fuller lives. Can you tell us why you're so passionate about that mission? So I think that in order to fully understand um, my tagline and even my former business name, Organized at Last, you would have to understand a little bit of my own personal story, which goes back to my, uh, my childhood home. I was born the youngest of four girls into... Um, a family with loving parents, uh, but a mom who became severely disabled um, in my life at the age of two. And she passed away when I was just 17. So our life, while my parents were um, incredible, loving people, there was a huge amount of chaos in our life. And maybe um, maybe I felt it even more because uh, I, since I was the youngest, our house became more and more chaotic as my mom's disease progressed. Um, we had dirty clothes mixed in with clean clothes all the time. We never ate meals at the table. In fact, I, I have very few childhood memories of ever eating a meal at any table. I don't know what I ate, honestly. I think I ate apples and ding-dongs and an occasional can of soup. Um, we didn't have regular meals. We didn't have much of a schedule. We, um, we were on our own a lot to, you know, figure out, I, I think from a really early age, I had to figure out what I was going to wear to school and where my hairbrush might be and where a toothbrush might be in our house. It, it always felt very challenging to me. 
But um, early on, I became best friends with a little gal that lived down the street. Uh, I was seven years old, I think, when we met. And I used to just treasure going into her home after school and on the weekends because her home felt calm and peaceful and organized. Her mom was healthy, um, physically healthy. So she had five girls in her family and just, um, you know, there, there was always a cleared off table and there were snacks available when you got there after school. And, um, she always knew where her clothes were. She had limited amounts of everything, which is something that I found very fascinating because we seem to have so much in our lives and she had not very much, just like one little section of a closet and one little part of a dresser. And I remember she wasn't allowed to put things on the top of her dresser. And she had one little twin bed that when I would spend the night, we would share her little twin bed because her mom, I think, didn't want the chaos of throwing sleeping bags and blankets and stuff all over. So anyway, it was it was such a fun, funny early memory, but it, it hit me hard because um, the way I felt in her house was very different than how I felt in my own house. So I just started to learn. I started to, when I would go to use their bathroom, I'd open up the cupboards and I'd look and I'd look underneath the sink. Where do people put things? Because in my house, nothing made sense. We had food stored above our refrigerator. You know, who, who stores food above the refrigerator? We had, you know, dirty dishes on the table at all, you know, times of the day and night. It just, again, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't any, uh, I, I don't, I don't feel anger or disappointment towards my parents at all. It was just the nature of um, the state we were in. And that's what I think developed my love and passion for organizing because I realized we weren't the only families going through this. And even though I didn't realize it at seven, I think I started to realize it at about age 12, that there were probably a lot of people in tough situations because of um, you know, illness, disability, uh, death, loneliness, sadness. I mean, it could be any number of things, right? And and I saw that from a really early, early age and um, thought that I wanted to do something with organization in my life and make our own, starting with my own parents' home and making it better. You know, you're describing this powerful experience that you had where you realized a different life was possible. And I think that's a, a really interesting thing to bring up because I think when we have that moment in our lives, I grew up in a home where alcoholism was this heavy presence all the time. And when I realized there was a different life possible for me, that just opened up, that opened up my future for me. What did it look like when you began to realize a different life is possible? I mean, there was that moment and, you know, fast forward years later, you're helping other people realize a different life is possible for them. But how, how did you go from realizing I could live differently? I could live more peacefully, more organized, not in chaos, not overwhelmed by grief. How did you begin to realize that for yourself before you could help realize it for other people? You know, I think for me, it was a it was a long and slow journey because I was just a child while I was experiencing all of this. And um, 
I, I, I think I, one thing I did is I kept my eyes wide open. I was watching what went on in the homes of my friends. And I still actually am super good friends with a few of the gals that I went to sixth grade with. And in fact, we're getting together in a couple of weeks in Hawaii together to meet up. We all turned 60 this year. So we're gathering for a big, uh, a big girls week. And um, I still love to share with them and, and with their mothers the, the influences that they had over me. And it wasn't so much that they were telling me any specific, you know, life lessons, but I was observing what was going on in their homes because I was curious. Um, when my mom passed away, I was 17 and um, I had just come to know the Lord through the ministry of Young Life just prior to her death. So I think I was probably, uh, maybe not just prior, but I think I was about 15 when I first met the Lord at a Young Life camp. And my mom was by then completely bedridden. So she was really ill and, and the situation in our home. By then it was a little bit better because I, had, I was, you know, a young adult then. I could do a lot in our home. I could manage. I could, I could help organize. I could help clean. I could help do meals. Um, but soon after my mom's death, I became super ill and so again, this was all part of my story. I thought, and the doctors thought at the time that I was just suffering from depression and, you know, just the sadness of the loss of my mother. And I, I felt that to some degree, but I felt like there was something much worse. In fact, um, in my own little head at 17, um, since I was going to these doctor appointments by myself, I suspected that I probably had cancer because I was losing weight. And I felt terrible, you know, 99% of the time, I felt very, very sick. And I thought that doesn't seem normal for a 17-year-old who had been healthy up to that point or 18 at this point. Anyway, so soon after I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and um, I felt a huge sense of relief that I finally had an answer to my, oh, probably six-month six months worth of pretty serious illness that I'd been experiencing after the death of my mom. But I think that diagnosis was a game changer for me in some ways, because I can remember sitting in the doctor's office um, all alone when the doctor came in to give me my diagnosis. And one thing he told me, well, he's told me several things was one was that I would have a compromised life that I probably would never have children. I mean, he's telling this to a young eight, I just had turned 18 and I had never ever, I mean, I, I had no idea what was, what was ahead of me with this disease. And these are, these are the things he's telling me. So I felt for a moment, like I just wanted to pass out. Like I thought that was maybe going to be the end of my life. He stepped out of the room. And in that moment, I felt this, and, and this is so true, and it's the only time I've ever had this kind of life-changing experience, but I felt that the Lord just entered the room in that moment and just embraced me and just told me that he was going to walk this road with me, and he was never going to leave me, that I wasn't going to die from this, and that he was going to take care of me throughout this ordeal. And mm. I think, you know, at this point, I knew just a sliver of, of what was ahead for me, but that comfort that I got from the Lord in that moment gave me 
a, an overwhelming sense of peace that somehow, some way I was, I was going to be okay. And that maybe a lot of my dreams would come true because I'd always dreamt of like most young girls, I wanted to get married. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to, you know, have a career at some point. I wanted to, um, I wanted to be the best version of myself. And I didn't know what that was. But in that moment, I thought, well, if I'm sick all the time, how will I ever be the best version of myself? But I don't think that that's how it played out for me. And I think, I, I don't think I know it was because I had a collision with the Lord that day. And he carried me through, um, through my darkest days and through my hospitalization and learning to take insulin injections and learning, you know, crazy amounts of information about diet and how to, how to live well. And, and then um, soon after I met, the way that I met Steve was I wore a medical alert bracelet on my wrist that stated, you know, that I had type one diabetes and I was insulin dependent and all that. And, and he said, why, you know, why do you wear that bracelet? And I said, well, I'm a type one diabetic. And he said, well, what does that mean? And I said, well, it means that I have, you know, a disease that's not curable. I didn't do anything to cause it. You know, I just, my pancreas just stopped working one day. And so now I have to be my pancreas. I have to take multiple injections and I have to test my blood sugar all day long and I have to eat right and I have to exercise. And he kind of looked at me and he said, well, that doesn't seem that bad. <laughs> so I just, and that was really his attitude. And I, I felt like saying, well, you should try it. <laughs> but um, soon after we started dating and, uh, and he really, he was one of the only guys that I ever dated that I would say fully embraced my disease almost as a challenge. Like this is something we're going to overcome and we're going to battle together. We're not going to, we're not going to let this disease win. And that was, that was how he's been. He, I've been with him for 30, I mean, well, 38 years. We've been together 38, 39, 37 years we've been married. And that's how he still approaches my disease. He just, every day he makes me go for a walk. Even if it's pouring down rain and stormy and windy and cold, he's like, nope, we got to go. So, but the, the gift has been a life of, you know, I, I say I'm, I'm for a diabetic, I'm extremely healthy, I would say for a type one, type two is a whole different ball game. So I'm not even going to talk about that. But um, Steve has helped me so much in that just, uh, he journeys with me, we eat low carb together. That's how we've always eaten. And it's the only diet that works for a lifetime. I mean, there's, there's never been a diet in our lives. It's just we've always, um, I mean, he eats his sweets occasionally, but he's disciplined about that. I just pretty much stay away from sweets and eat vegetables and protein. And, you know, I eat sweets when my blood sugar is low and that's it. And, and it works. And he has been my, my number one cheerleader throughout this disease. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm grateful. Julie, it's so interesting to listen to you tell your story. You experienced so much hardship early on from losing your mom at 17 to getting a diagnosis at 18. And it really strikes me that that was 42 years ago around yep, yep. that you're sitting in a doctor's office and the doctor's giving you dismal news 
And 42 years later, when you're telling the story to us today, you're tearing up and you're feeling emotional because you, it sounds like, felt like you experienced almost like a divine, supernatural, some sort of experience where God came in that room and covered you in hope when it, when you were being given hopeless news to the point that it still sticks with you 40 years later, how important that moment was for you. It does. It was, um, it was transformational. And I, I say all the time, I don't know how I would have dealt with that diagnosis sitting in that doctor's office alone, like truly alone. Nobody was with me. I didn't have any of my siblings with me. I didn't have my dad with me at the time. He was grieving himself and overwhelmed with life at the moment and couldn't deal, I think, couldn't deal with one more thing. So the, the diagnosis really became my own and we didn't have a big community. I mean, when you grow up with a sick mom, people people run. They don't they don't surround you. We weren't it wasn't a Christian home. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. My mom met the Lord before she died and as did my dad and so it became a Christian home thanks so much to my sister, my older sister who met Christ early and really is the reason I met Christ because she got involved in young life and and then I did as well. But um I just think that I I wonder all the time what what would have been the outcome for me had I not met the Lord when I was 15. You know, what how would that how would my story have been different because when you're given such a grim diagnosis, which I have no idea what that doctor was thinking in the moment when he said those things to me. But how um how horrific that would have been if I hadn't known the Lord right then to be able to say, wait a minute, um, this doesn't, this, my story doesn't have to become what you just told me. And I think I wasn't alone in that because as I've led support groups and been involved in support groups with other type one diabetics over the year, over the years, I think many people have been given really grim diagnoses and, um, hopelessness, like don't ever try and have a family because it's so, it's so bad. It's so much work. It's so dangerous. You know, you won't do well. It's different probably a little bit today, but I know 40 years ago it was, it was bad. And I know other type one diabetics who are my age who never had children because it was too scary for them to even think about trying. And, um, thankfully the other thing is I met a great doctor. She gave me a different, uh, different diagnoses in that she said, go for it. You want to have a kid, have a kid. You want to have three kids, have three kids. Just, you know, here's what you have to do. And she, uh, she stuck by me and was, you know, again, helped me stay focused. That's what you have to do with it, where other people go through their pregnancy and they complain about, you know, weight gain or feeling terrible or back aches. A diabetic has to, I had to think about my blood sugar 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which is what I still do. Only the the um, technology is better now. So I get to wear a little device in my arm that helps read my blood sugar, keeps track of my blood sugar to my phone. But back in the day, I had to just test it over and over and over again. So I always had big calloused, bloody, bloodied hands from 